G'day and welcome to Lunch Money, the online and social media home for workouts, special situations and capital raising professionals. Uh, my name is Nick Samios. I am the uh, fund manager and director here at Hermes Capital and I am your Lunch Money uh, podcast and live stream host. So uh, a, a warm and personal welcome uh, to you. Uh, a reminder to share, like, and subscribe us on uh, YouTube or Facebook or wherever it is you're watching. Now, I normally say share, but today uh, I think we're going to be giving out some secret sauce today. So you may not want to share this episode with your competitors because if you do, you'll be giving away some competitive advantage. How about that? That's a that's a pretty big claim. Um, um, the spotlight today is on the challenges facing professional service providers, people like myself, uh, accountants, lawyers. Uh, turnaround professionals, um, anyone who is in the professional services game, particularly where the stakes are high. And when I mean the stakes are high, you know, we could be looking at, you know, funding transactions for $2 million, $3 million, $10 million. Um, you know, there might be a, a, an insolvency or a restructuring firm. And, you know, if, you, if you're talking about Virgin or Folly or some of these major insolvencies, the stakes are very high. And normally, um, People such as myself, we're used to getting around a table uh, to discuss things. We're used to uh, building the relationships that generate referrals in our business because that's the big thing in professional services. We all rely upon referrals. And we're used to building the relationships that generate those referrals by having, you know, cups of coffee and getting together for dinners and lunches and beers and running seminars. But we can't do that now uh, in this in this COVID environment. Now, I might be able to go and have a, a coffee with someone in Sydney, but I can't go to Perth, I can't go to Brisbane. How do we build those relationships? And uh, how, do we, um, how do we build trust in particular? And that's, trust is very important, particularly when it comes to the high stakes situation. Uh, I've got a matter at the moment where um, it's, a, it's a $2 million transaction, it's in Perth. I believe I've got the best solution for the client. But part of the solution is not just the money. It's also it's also me and my firm and my staff. And in the past, I may have jumped on a plane and taken one of our, our key operations staff with us to sit with the client uh, to, to sort of demonstrate that capability. But we can't do that face-to-face -face anymore. So we've got two special guests today uh, to help us navigate um, these challenges. Our first guest is Dave Kenny who is a partner with Hall Chadwick. G'day, Dave. How are you going? I'm good, thanks, Nick. Yourself? Fantastic, fantastic. Um, now, Dave, I know that uh, you've been on before, and thank you very much for coming back again. Um, I know that uh, one of your um, specialties is in the area of uh, entrepreneurship as well as capital raising, so you you find yourself mentoring uh, businesses, I imagine, quite a bit. Is that a, is that a fair, fair comment? Yeah, I do a lot of uh, mentoring and um, office hours and uh, one-on-ones, um, and group sessions as well. So yeah, it's been uh, no no shortage of things to do in that space, and um, it's, it's and, a lot of fun. And what and what in particular have you find yourself been doing more of uh, in the last week or two? What's what's sort of taking your focus? Uh, probably one of the highlights was a, a major IPO on Nasdaq. That was a that was an excellent outcome, and share prices wow. are, are going very very well. Um, seeing uh, some of the the startups graduate and raise a few dollars as well. That was um, that's been pretty pleasing, um, and just generally, you know, clients that are doing it tough and being there for them to help them through problems and make sure you you give them everything you got to help them. So, so you you take startups through the various rounds of capital raising. So it's the first round, second round, that sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure. From day one to 
IPO on NASDAQ um, through to, you know, accelerators in uh, Australia. And um, so, yeah, really just working with them from idea through to through to exit. But, yeah, um, yeah so it's a, it's a, I, I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. I guess roadshows are, yeah, roadshows are certainly a little bit different in this environment, aren't they? Yeah, look, I think the the fundamentals of what makes something investable uh, haven't changed a lot, but obviously the industries and uh, COVID's had some sort of, um, you know, uh, impact on in lots of different ways. Uh, it's a lot harder to get out. And I think, you know, we'll probably touch on the fact that it is harder to have uh, that intimacy and really get to know people a little bit uh, better than uh, you can sometimes do on a Zoom call. Um, yeah. But, yeah, for sure, it's... Uh, Challenges are still there. There's still people transacting. People are still looking for disruptive uh, and valuable companies, and that that's not stopped. And we'll wait and see how uh, the world performs. Before um, I'm I'm in reasonable, um, I'm reasonably uh, happy to see that lots of deals are still happening. So that's good. Look, I think you have to you have to stay optimistic. Certainly, uh, maybe not so much entirely in your circle, but some of the guys down that down the hall in the office in the insolvency section. I mean, we we talk a lot about uh, doom and gloom, but you know, uh, at the end of the day, you've got to uh, you've got to make things happen. You know, and uh, and I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to have this discussion today about uh, about being you know what it is that we need to do to make stuff happen. Um, well, so- you've got to make you've got to, you've got to be there to anticipate and help your clients with what they need and. Yeah. And it's a lot more than the vanilla stuff. And, you know, I, I always like to say no one goes broke on my shift. Um, but like at the end of the day, at the end of the day um, it's it's pretty tough out there for lots of sectors. And uh, my insolvency partners are working hard at, you know, looking after, you know, people that they work with and keeping keeping them apprised of all the latest useful strategies. So they're, yeah. they're as busy as, uh, as ever as well. But maybe doing something slightly different. but I guess you've got, you've got your finger on the pulse around the country, of course, because you've got offices uh, in yep. all the major capital cities. Correct. Um, yeah, so there's, yeah. it's different. I mean, everyone's obviously, Victoria's you know, in a special situation, but, look, I mean, no one's impervious to what's going on around the country either and sector-specific. I mean, it's, all of it will happen in a wave and we'll work out. We haven't probably seen the full impact of this. It's still very early, really, in the scheme of things. Yeah. All right. Well, Dave, we'll just uh, we'll just uh, introduce our next guest. So we'll put you back in the waiting room there for a tick. And it's Adam Benson, who is the managing director of uh, recognition, outsource, and right away. Um, I guess how are you going, Adam? Yeah, really well, thanks, Nick. Fantastic. Uh, you know, in our pre in our pre show chat, I was saying that obviously, you know, your business is a lot around electronic communications as well as telemarketing and that and that sort of thing. So I appreciate obviously you you, you do a lot of face to face yourself. But uh, what's what's changed? Uh, well, what what firstly what what is it that's keeping you busy the last the last little while? Yeah, look, um, a lot of so a lot of our clients are in the technology uh, sector, so vendors and then partners that resell vendor technology. Um, probably the biggest thing that we're seeing is just this wholesale pivot to digital marketing. So for us, a lot of firms that would be mid-tier firms, so you know, 50 to maybe 500 people, a lot of their business was done just shaking hands and doing coffees and, and getting out and seeing people, as as you said. You know, it's kind of just yeah. how business was done. And, um, you know, and suddenly... You know, they're doing business from behind a pane of glass, basically. And what 
everyone is discovering, or not everyone, but a large proportion of those mid-tier firms that have, have been pretty good at word of mouth and client referral-based work is without that ability to get out and, and do that face-to-face and that physical work, um, they've had to turn their attention to how well they can turn on their marketing efforts, you know, digitally. So suddenly they're looking at their website that hasn't been touched for four or five years. They realise that they're not showing up in search, which didn't really matter before, but now it's absolutely yeah. critical because it's the only thing that kind of matters if someone new is looking for that kind of service. Um, they're having to codify processes around, well, how do we build trust? How do we build engagement with people that don't know us very well? What sorts of things do we need to do to demonstrate our expertise? And so for us, you know, we're sort of getting um, quite a few different organisations come to us who are saying, look, this we need to get this sorted because um, we know there's business out there, but we're not getting any of it or we're not getting as much as we should be or we would have traditionally got. Yeah, I guess uh, you know in the current environment, um, you know, it, it, yeah, you, you certainly the margin for error is less, isn't it, when it comes to when it comes to marketing spend and and, and bringing the bringing the business in. You know, before if you missed one, you know, okay, but now you you need you need more of them to stick, don't you? You do, um, but I'd, I'd actually argue almost the opposite that you know one of the things that a lot of organisations are discovering is just how granular you can get with your spend. When it comes to digital marketing in particular, so you can really start to allocate where you put your money to quite small, uh, sort of more granular points, um, and you can measure things a lot better, and you can run programs that work while you sleep, and that's a bit of a disconnect from some of their older sales models, where you know they would essentially um, hope that people were working really hard to bring in deals, and hope that people would hear about them through word of mouth and client referral. So, in some ways. Actually, it just so happens that digital marketing in particular gives you a lot of data points to measure and a lot of ways to continuously pivot and change your marketing in a way that older style marketing, you know, you run a big event and if two people turn up, that's a single point of failure and it's a bit hard to work out what happened or what went wrong. But with this, you can chop and change. You can change your messages on the fly. You can try new things overnight. You can do, you know, so that makes, so in some ways you're looking for more volume than maybe you could have had before in terms of prospects. Um, right. Yes, you don't want to miss any deals, but most of the businesses we're talking to are not not in the kind of stress that maybe other sectors are yet. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're, hoping that, uh, we're hoping that we can sprinkle a bit of holy water on some of those sectors that are are uh, a little bit yes. a little a little bit more in need. Um, we'll just we'll just bring uh, we'll bring Dave back. Um, I'm wondering, Dave. Um, you know, uh, Adam said there that with with the shift to digital, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a little bit more accountability, I wonder, you know, because there are more stuff being measured. Uh, is there more accountability? I'm thinking about, you know, business development, maybe, you know, partner activities and that sort of stuff. I mean, do you, do you think that in professional services uh, there's more accountability now? Well, I think people are trying to try new things and, you know, having to work from home. Uh, people are saying, why don't we try different things online? Uh, but, you know, building trust has never been any different to many, um, uh, really. I mean, it's about, you know, having a slow burn and giving people valuable information that's relevant and you're, you're talking to the right clients um, and their their pain that you, this pain is uh, urgent and it's, uh, and it's you know, um, 
it's it's high at the right time that you're talking to them. So you've got to with, with the the technology and the various tools out there that you can um, split test and and really identify your ideal customer. Uh, you can get a lot more granular. You can uh, make sure you're fishing in the right ponds. You can do all of the things that um, you should be doing anyway. But yeah. digital just gives you more in real time data. Um, there's so many great platforms out there that can give you you know, what your ad spend is, what your cost per customer is, your click-through rates, um, et cetera. But all of that said, you, what doesn't change is having the right, um, you know, message and the right product and making sure you're right in front of the right customer. Um, so the old fashioned stuff, well, the, the, the most important things are, you know, having the right product, getting in front of the right customer at the right point and the right distribution system. But at the end of the day, um, I think we have seen a lot of people go further down the, the digital path because they think, well, I can't do the same sort of marketing, so I might as well get on the front foot and dip the toe into it. And there's probably so much more content out there. Uh, but again, the good content is uh, easily separable. And the yeah. fact that, I mean, for example, Nick, people hopefully have worked out that you, know, you provide good content, so you're worth listening to. So there's some key takeaways that the audience is going to get. It's yeah. not just a you know, 30 minutes of their life they're not going to get back. So you've got to, you know, you can start and you can measure it, but it starts with creating good content. There is a war for content now. Yeah. You know, that's what's happened is, is this wholesale move to digital because that's mm. the only game there is. Mm. And exactly as David said, so now there's this war for content. There's the very average that is bleedingly obvious and then there's yeah. the real insightful content that, that truly builds awareness, educates, demonstrates your expertise, shows how you're going to build, you know, gives people an idea of what it's going to be like to work with you and the kind of thinking and the gravitas you bring to a situation versus crap. Getting back to the the, the issue of trust, uh, I mean, what, what, what are the key things that build trust? I'm thinking, you know, the little, it's the little promises, I guess, are the signals, aren't they, that, that you can deliver on the big promises? I think the reality is, is when you're selling quite sophisticated, complex, high-value products and services, so things that you need to explain and educate, and often products or services people might only buy once in their lifetime or twice in their corporate careers. You know, you don't go and buy an SAP solution every five days. It's something that, as a buyer, you're not necessarily sure how to buy it. Um, you don't change accounting firms every five months. You you, you learn how to make that purchase and then work with that organisation and it's very hard to work out how, what you would compare or what you'd be looking for. How do you create trust in particularly in services organisations? And, and it comes through in all the things you just said. You know, first up, people trust those who share our values. If you're talking about the kinds of issues in the way that they think about those same issues, you, you instantly have some rapport. They... They're people that listen and ask really great questions and have questions that drive them to think. You know, if you're asking challenging questions and you're demonstrating your expertise because of the quality of the questions you ask, then you get you start to create trust. If you right. are accurate and credible, you know, so you're not, you know, it's our point about lightweight content versus things that show you did the market study or you've right. really got experience to bring to bear. All those things start to take what is a fairly intangible and hard-to-understand product or service and say, you know, what you're trying to do is de-risk that purchase. How do you essentially get them to feel comfortable that you've got their best interests at heart, you know what you're doing, you're a safe bet, and you're going to deliver what you say you're going to deliver? 
And that can be done remotely. You know, you don't don't have to be in a meeting to do that face-to-face. Well, you talk about obviously adopting, uh, you know, whether or not to adopt a new SAP system is a big decision, but certainly, uh, you know, getting a capital raise away on the NASDAQ is a pretty pretty big decision as well, David. What resonates with you out of what, what Adam was just saying then? I'd just sum it up into one word, um, Nick, and that's care. You know, care about the person uh, you're trying to help. Um, I mean, ultimately, they're not at all interested in, in your product. They care about their pain and or what their problem is. And um, you don't get to explore that with someone at a detailed level because, you know, the world's sick of being sold to. You can't walk down the street without, you know, seeing a bus, you know, selling at you. You can't open your phone without getting an ad. You can't do anything. Everyone's become increasingly cynical that, you know, all this is going to be a sales message or a call. So you it's you do stand out if you do play the long game and some of your best customers will be, um, you know, you don't need to sell if you do a good job with, with your customers and they'll, they'll sell for you. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think if you sum it all up is to work out what, what's right for them, what do they need and, and the, in a complex sale situation, you, you're far more of a consultant first to work out, you know, what are their problems and to establish that you are um, on the same page as them and you, you, you're an insider, if you like. You understand their world and then as a result of being able to understand their world, you can, you can they'll open up because there's nothing people hate more than talking to someone who's they know it's just trying to sell to them. They've got, they're not adding any value to their problem, uh, and they're you know, they're not listening. They're just trying to sell, so they're not thinking about what the person's talking about. They're thinking about the next thing they want to say, mm-hmm. and that is like easily spotted by people uh, that are traditionally uh, in charge of complex um, procurement processes. Um, so, I think the real reason that People do well or they don't is that they they care about people and that they work you know they, they try and get into their into their position and understand the pain they're going through. Which comes back to the first point is you want to make sure that you're you are talking to ideal customers rather than being you know having a shotgun approach to just spray and pray on uh, your message and spend your time. Which comes back to the number one thing that's our that's where we spend our time needs to be super focused and. Tools can help us um, you know, manage that distribution system, but you know, we need to understand more about our customers and their pain than they do themselves sometimes. I think, uh, Adam, one of the things that, uh, that Dave's saying there um, is he didn't say it in quite these words, but if I can use a listening technique on you, Dave, is that you, you say, you're really talking about listening. You know, you're talking about uh, people who are just thinking about what they're going to say next as opposed to listening what you're saying, for example. Now, I know that... Uh, you know, good listening skills um, and, ex- you know, ex- uh, uh, using good listening skills are obviously very uh, key to showing that care. You, you opened up by saying it's showing caring. I mean, um, Adam, we, we spoke again earlier about, you know, being on time. Um, uh, I, I quoted the military saying, don't be late, don't be light and be in uniform. Uh, you know, there's nothing worse than you've got the Zoom call and, you know, Fred's not there and you're ringing Fred, you're SMSing, where's Fred? I don't think that is uh, necessarily showing care, you know what I mean? Like I think that, and and I also think personal appearance as well. If you, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, look, I've just washed my hair, I've got my, you know, just, just been out for a jog. But I think showing caring is also 
the way you present yourself. But but what? How do you demonstrate, Adam? How do you sort of uh, build uh, listening skills into the into the processes online, be it electronic or? Look, that hasn't changed. I mean, you know, that sort of concept of being a trusted advisor and somebody that people feel comfortable telling their problems to and feel like they're in a safe pair of hands and somebody that really is there to help them, not to help themselves, you know, and not create an artificial way, but you've got to establish that kind of level of trust. And, and those listening skills are inherent in any consultant and particularly in professional services, people who are in business development or are in consulting or client engagement roles do it naturally. You know, they just naturally do it. Um, often it's paraphrasing back to the client, you know, so what you're saying is this, have I captured that correctly? So so making sure that you're telegraphing that you really are listening to what they have to say. And if you're suggesting next steps, so look, if I did that, would that be helpful? Would that be the next thing you'd want me to do? Giving them options and choices and feeling control over the sort of the way the conversation's going, the areas that you see you might be able to add value, but making sure that, again, you're not getting ahead of yourself, that you're checking back and saying, so is this, is this going to work for you? If I come back like this, will that be helpful? Have you thought about this? And as David said, you know, really at the back of your, back, back of your mind is I am quite prepared to offer advice and support, even if it means I might not be the right person to actually have this as a client. You know, so, look, I don't think we can really help you because it's not my area, but, look, this is how I think you should go solve this problem with other people maybe even. And that's that's kind of where the trusted advisor piece comes because often people go, actually, I trust you so much, I'd, I'd rather you try and help me work this through rather than me go back out to market and just start talking to strangers again. So active listenings, you know, that doesn't change on Zoom. Um, the physical manifestation of, you know, what do you look like, how do you present yourself? For our team, every single one of our team are, uh, we have created a shared virtual office that's a background. Uh, our logos are on the top right like you've got on your screen. Also our job title uh, in a nice coloured bubble and our, um, and our company that we're tied to. So when you get five of us on a call with, with a group meeting with clients, we look like a company. You get us on a call, you look like you've got a company you're talking to, not a bunch of You people. look like a team. Yeah. But, uh, it sounds like you look like yeah, a team. Yeah, and I'm surprised I'm not seeing more of that, actually. Mm. Sort of, I think that hygiene stuff's going to catch up. I think we're going to see dress um, dress weeks come back in for, for remote. You know, look, yeah. guys, I don't want to see anyone on a Zoom call in a you know, pyjama top or a sloppy joe, and I'm certainly of that, but with yeah. clients I know really well and who's also in a sloppy joe. But it's the old adage, you know, you don't need to look like your client. You need to look like who your client wants to do business with. Yeah, look, I, mean, I was saying earlier that uh, back in the 80s, there used to be the debate when everybody smoked like chimneys, you know, there was the debate, you know, should you smoke in front of a client? And then there was rules. Well, if the client lights up, you can light up. But, but the, the, you know, I remember seeing a, a sales training video that said you never smoke in front of a client because it's never going to win you the sale and it could lose you the sale. You know, um, I'm, I'm interested, Dave, obviously, you know, whole Chadwick is a national firm and I know that, uh, you know, that you guys play a lot of attention to branding and, and, and certainly branding can uh, can come unstuck very easily, I, I would have thought, in some of these Zoom calls. Is that something that you guys have specifically given thought to or what, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I don't think we've got as precise approach as Adam described. Um, I mean, I, I just, just something you touched on before, which was 
Um, people expect you to look a certain way. I think people expect certain outcomes. Um, just thinking back to when I first started work, everyone was, all my bosses were Mr. So-and-so and everyone wore, I mean, I haven't got a tie today. Um, yeah. Everyone wore ties. Um, but I don't, what I think has really changed a lot is that people are more interested in how people, they should be, the person first rather than just what they do. Like, Can I, do, can I, can I just... Can I just sort of push back a little bit on you there, Dave? Yeah. And it's it's okay if you if you're Dave Kenny, right? You've been around for a few years. You've established yourself. I mean, you're a you're a brand in your own right. Like people around Australia know that you know, particularly when it comes to capital raising, everyone's heard of Dave Kenny uh, in those circles. And so you've got a brand. So yeah, I mean, you could probably you know turn up in just a pair of board shorts and a singlet, and they know. That's Dave Kenny, and they're going to get what they get. So you can rely on, uh, you you know, they know they're going to get an outcome with you. But would you give that exact same? If you've got a brand new partner at Hall Chadwick, there, would you give them the same advice? So I mean, if they don't have that that recognition and that track record, you know, of, of yeah, uh, yeah, perhaps you're right, actually, Nick. That you do need to go through the the, the learning curve, um, mm. and you can do things uh, your way a little bit, and and not be judged if you like or not people might think well why would you you don't look the part mm. um it's, there's some truth in that i'm sure as to where you are in the the, the starting lineup versus uh you know where you are at the end or whatever yeah for sure but i, I still i still think that um it depends on if you're trying to make a first impression and i, I agree with you if you're um but you know even for my team you know that are like if I'm always perfect, or I, I it just sets a too high expectation. Trust me, I'm never always perfect, but um, I, I just think we're dealing with people, and uh, you've got to, you've got to be a little bit uh, flexible when it comes to how people are feeling and looking and all that sort of thing at the moment because it's been a shit period. Like it's, it's a, uh, so, I'm not as I don't subscribe to the. You got to be perfect. You got to look the part as much. And I don't know. And I, you made me think: is that because of, I've just been at it a long time, or because yeah. I think I set the standards, and so there, there should be no deviation from that? Don't know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's it's um it's it's important if you are meeting someone for the first time, you probably don't want to turn up in tracksuit pants. Yeah, I think yeah, you, yeah. You, you you should look the part. In fact, my wife says you could probably dress a bit sharper, to be honest. So. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the godfather can turn up in a meeting wearing a dressing gown, right? But, uh, you know, I'm not sure if, if the guys down the chain can do that. What, what do you think, Adam? Yeah, look, it's, it, it's a great point about, you know, people understand your value. If you're somebody that, you know, is, is an iconic, you know, sort of person that everybody wants to do business with and is really pleased to have in the room, you know, turn up with a fish on your head, it probably doesn't matter. But um, for the rest of us, um, you know, particularly my sort of business where, you know, I've got two PR firms as well, you know, we're managing the, the reputations of companies, not just people. You know, there's an expectation at some point that you, you might want to look like you care about reputation. But, but yes, these are different times. Um, at the same time, I think, um, you know, being slaves to ridiculous kind of dress codes that make no sense in this environment. And we've been, you know, the IT industry, you know, really kind of figured it out. So I, I remember wearing 
you know, a three-piece suit and tie all through the 90s, <laughs> you know, polished black shoes and then so did every client I met. And then sort of yeah. post-2000, everything started to drift into jeans and jackets and, you know, this sort of, this sort of gear. And, um, and, and so I think IT kind of found a happy medium, to be honest. Um, and what do you think, uh, I'm just thinking about, um, just to sort of change the tone a little bit, prospecting. I know that, um, that that you run telesales teams. I mean, that's one of the things you do is outsource telesales teams. Uh, I mean, one of the, you know, when you're doing lead gen, sometimes the tele, the telemarketer will, will make that initial call and set up a meeting. But how do you, you know, what's how do you do the follow-ups now with... You know, how, how do you yeah. sort of take the relationship from here to here? That that you know, the, the telephone got you in the door, but then how do you how do you do that? Yeah, but to be honest, Nick, telemarketing these days and really for the last few years is probably about one percent of what we do. Um, yeah. So so that days of um, companies asking us to just ring a list of prospects to see if they might happen to have half a million dollars to spend on a software solution that afternoon. You know, funnily enough, turned out to be not very effective. Um, and um, it's okay for identifying early stage opportunities. It's okay for following up on people that have shown interest in other campaigns and other activities. So being part of the nurture process. But as a cold calling kind of thing, I, I don't really offer it. Do it so, so what do you do? Um, comes back to the point before. You've got to be able to demonstrate your expertise through how you exhibit. You know the the kind of artifacts you create. And put yeah. online and share in yeah. webinars. I mean, this is an artifact, right? Yeah. This yeah. is demonstrating that you've got the right sort of uh, domain expertise and connections and gravitas in the industry to be able to run something like this and make it truly interesting for people. Um, so it's no different with everyone else that's selling those kinds of complex products and services. You know, you've got to create content that truly is interesting, engaging, informing. And as they move down through the sales funnel, then, yes, you will have people that will pick up the phone call and say, look, I see you've been on our website 27 times. I see that you've downloaded our last five e-books. I see that. Do you want to have a chat? You, know, <laughs> you seem interested. You know, Why don't we have a conversation about you know, where you're up to and what, what are you looking for? You know, What sort of information is most useful to you? Maybe I've got other things I can, I can share with you. Um, you know, so it's that kind of piece. Can I just add a spin to that too, Adam, that um, Nick, I think you were asking about how do you uh, rank your leads that you've, you've set appointments, how do you rank those? Um, unless you've got some sort of matrix that deals with your ideal client and then you know as much as possible that there's lots of different things you can find out about your client, your ideal client that aren't clients yet, and you can score them based on different parameters that are the most you know, urgent, have the right budget, have the right size, whatever the parameters are that make them the ideal client, those can be essentially scored and that should then prioritise how quickly and who, you know, your best salespeople are that deal with those uh, opportunities. Yeah, and that's where marketing automation platforms have really come into their own because yeah. they, they do a lot of that lead scoring and lead profiling. But it's not just scoring ideal clients it's also the behavior they're exhibiting in terms of interacting with your content online and, and where they spend their time online because you're getting signals from that now too which yeah, can through those same platforms and that tells you more things again so they're not just the right looking company they're actually exhibiting the kind of behavior that tells you they're 
they're ready to have a conversation and actually want to have a conversation. Yeah. Okay, look, guys, we are, believe it or not, we're, we're actually out of time. So it's been a great conversation. I'd just like to wrap up by maybe asking each of you, maybe for just one piece of advice and this uh, one sort of closing piece of advice. I'll start with you, Adam. Sure. Um, if you want to build authority in the area that you really know, want to be known in, then you need artefacts. You need to create those into those sorts of, um, marketing pieces you can share, demonstrate your expertise and your knowledge. Um, that, that will build authority and that builds trust. Um, for me, I think um, be more human. Uh, I mean, sometimes people like to get a text message and say, send them a funny meme or I don't know. I mean, you, it's people deal with people they like too. I mean, it's not, you know, if people are, there's two different providers of the same product and you like one more than the other, I know which one I'd put the money on in terms of closing the deal. So I think be more human is my um my one piece. That's interesting. Uh, a mutual friend of Adam's and mine, uh, Paul Vorbeck, uh, he, he likes to say that uh, when all things are equal, people like to deal with people they like. Hmm. And when all things are unequal, people like to deal with people they like. So I think <laughs> that's, uh, that, that sort of plays to David. So um, Adam Benson, if you want to uh, reach out and contact Adam, uh, we, we have his contact details uh, in all of the promo materials for this. So please uh, go back and uh, you can reference that. And similar with Dave Kenny, Dave Kenny at Hall Chadwick. Uh, Adam, outsource recognition or um, uh, which, which, which one do we direct them to? Look, the outsource has probably got the clearest message around marketing support. Fantastic. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for coming back again. And it's, it's been a wonderful, uh, wonderful show. Thank you very much. And thank you to uh, all of our viewers and listeners. We'll see you next time. Cheers.